Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Tea Talks with Kuru, where you get to listen to some pretty good book reviews while also learning more about one of the most famous drinks in the world, tea. I'm your host, Sex Kuru, and today we'll be delving into the pages of one of my all-time favorite books, Sylvia Marino's book, Gods of Jade and Shadow. As this book is heavily influenced by me on mythological themes, I thought it was fair to select a tea that also held some sort of significance beyond being a delicious beverage to enjoy. So, without further ado, today's tea is a herbal tea called Yerba Mate, which comes from its very own um, tea plant called the Elex Paraguariensis. Very long Latin name. And its name comes from the indigenous language of Quechua, uh, and the name comes from the word mati in that indigenous language. And mati refers to the cup used to drink the tea in. And indigenous tribes first enjoyed cultivating the plant and drinking its tea as a stimulant. However, Jesuits eventually introduced the beverage to Europe. And today, yerba mate is regularly enjoyed across South America, and it's tightly woven into many cultures. Usually, yerba mate is enjoyed from a gourd and sipped with a metal straw fitted with a filter at one end and the filter is used to filter out stray leaf fragments. Sharing the gourd with someone is also seen as a sign of friendship and bonding in um, their tradition. So I think that's really cool. Um, I didn't know this. I didn't even know this type of tea existed. So it was um, really interesting for me to research. And well, now you know. So we have a new, so we have a nice herbal tea to ease us into the ancient and awe-inspiring world of Mayan mythology. One of the best things, in my opinion, about these ancient civilizations and their stories is that they're very realistic. Happily ever after is uh, basically an afterthought, and most times the heroes end up beheaded or killing their families or being smited by a jealous god, and I live for it. I do love to read a good tragedy, and that kind of brings some conflicts with some of the stories I like to read when I'm giving recommendations, but so what? Uh, Bonus points, if you can relate that tragedy to your life in some way, because that just means that the right story got passed along through the ages, because ultimately all these folklore stories are supposed to give you some moral or uh, spiritual lesson at the end of it all it's kind of like all those stories with um anansi and stuff if you all can remember it so let's meet our mcs for gods of jade and shadow we have cassiopeia a young girl who slaves away for her extended family together with her mother and the god of darkness hankami who was betrayed by his brother and killed now this story takes place before the advent of technology and all that um, really, you know, took root in society. So, think 1927, thereabouts. So, yeah, there's um, a tram for transport, there are automobiles or whatever, but again, it's not widespread and railways and stuff are still, like, kind of the main um, transportation around that time. So, just keep that in mind. So, they're traveling from her little remote town of Ukumil in the city, city, sorry, by tram. 
Now, Cassiopeia is basically a maid to the rest of her family. Her mother had returned to them after her father passed away and her mother had actually um, gone against the wishes of her family and married Cassiopeia's father and they eloped. So, after her father passed away, Cassiopeia and her mother had returned to her mother's family to, so that her mother could raise Cassiopeia. And they are treated like shit. They're responsible for cooking and cleaning and just about every other chore you could possibly think of. And to top it all off, they have to put up with any abuse verbal or otherwise that the family throws at them. Kinda crazy. That would drive me up a wall, having to sleep with hundred assholes. But anyway. So I'll go Cassiopeia is full of resentment and hostility. And she's obviously pissed at her relatives, as she rightly should be. Now, patriarchy is all-encompassing around this time, so the entire family is under the ironclad rule of Cassiopeia's sick-grandfather, Cirillo. He's a bitter and cruel man, and he is sorely disappointed that Cassiopeia was not born a boy, because he recognises the strength in her that her cousin, Martin, and his unfortunate heir, lacks. So, Martin in turn resents Cassiopeia for still being able to hold their grandfather's attention despite her being a girl. That really pisses you off, that sense of entitlement they feel based on their gender. Well, at least it pisses me off. So, anyway, Cassiopeia is just this ball of negative emotions, and one day, her fierce temper lands her left behind from a family trip, and she's responsible, to, she's responsible for staying at home and mending some of her grandfather's clothing, and to do other household chores as punishment in addition to that. Now, this anger tempts her to go into his chest at the foot of his bed, the one he explicitly forbids anyone from touching, and see if um, his inheritance is there. Because, as mentioned previously, Cirillo is sick and he's old, and he even, eventually when he passes, he has a will, and he had told Cassiopeia previously that he would, when he passes, he would leave her enough money to um, let her leave Ukumil and go to Merida. So she's banking on that. So she figures he probably has a, a load of treasure in that chest and she's ready, to, she's ready to snatch her share and leave her horrible life behind. And previously her father really had a fascination with me and Greek mythology and she had shared his dreamer's nature as a child. But her, tra- her transition into adulthood had jaded that childlike view of the world and she still held on to the urge to leave her grandfather's home and explore the world, but maybe not as, not as in a, such an imaginative sense as a child would. So that's commendable, especially since her environment was all about oppression and male superiority, which is just sickening. So Cassiopeia opens this dress. And it's not coins and treasures she finds. No, she finds bones. And not just any old bones. These bones are the bones of the Supreme Lord of Darkness in Mayan mythology. And the go- and one of the uh, gods of Silbalba, Honkami. And she has just set him free after a couple decades of imprisonment. He was imprisoned by his brother, um, Vakum Kami. And her grandfather actually helped the god's brother imprison him. So it's been decades that since he's been back to Zilbaba, his um brother Vacum is currently the Supreme Lord of Darkness. And yeah, Cirillo 
was responsible for you know keeping to make sure that Han didn't escape the chest. So when she opened the chest, she stuck her hand in, and a shard of bone got stuck under her finger. And that was how Han Kame was able to regenerate himself. So literally, these bones just start moving on their own, and she's there. She's st- just awestruck while all this muscle and flesh and tissue regenerates to form a person. So there's a god in front of her. She saw it happen. She's not gonna waste time thinking, oh, this is a dream, X, Y, Z. No, she takes it as it is. She's like, okay, cool. And then the god charges her with helping him find back all his lost body parts and getting back um, to his full power. Because he, after he um, is at his full power, he plans to take back his true and Enzil Baba. So it's basically this uh, kind of quest journey thing. They call it mismaking. So she was like, okay, sure. And they set out to find the rest of his um, body parts. He's, mi- he's missing right now. He's missing his left eye, his left ear, his left index finger, and his jade necklace. So basically, he and Cassiopeia can't opt out of this because her life force is basically sustaining him on in um middle world which is what they call it so she kind of has to go even if she didn't want to so while he is big and plot twist he's becoming more human while he stays in middle world and the more time he spends away from Zilbaba and she's dying because he's literally feeding off her life force so that's something to consider and yeah, I, I I was just like, so she's basically a human battery. So yeah. So they go from her little remote village of Ukumil. And they travel to, I believe it was murder, I think. I believe so. And they're going to find this demon that Tonkami knows called Lori. And he's a foreigner. And... The reason that he was close by was because eons ago, a stone fell to earth in that um, peninsula right there, the Yaton, and it left a scar on the peninsula. And that was how gods are still able to walk in that area because magic is still potent there. The rest of the gods in the other continents and Charlie world fell asleep already. So yeah... And then we then they give you a bit of insight into the Mayon underworld Zilbaba with the Black Road, the Jade Palace. They talk about how there are actually ten gods of darkness with one supreme ruler over all of them. And it's five sets of twins. And they mention Zikaripat and Chuchumaki. Who cause men to who cause men to shed their blood, and addressed in crimson. Then we have Chamia back and Chamia Hulam, I believe, and they carry bone staffs and cause others to waste away. 
So that was just a bit of insight into Mayan mythology and I thought it was really cool. I didn't know much about Mayan culture beyond the fact that they were a lot they were very ritualistic. It's a very ancient practice. Um they have some really good architecture. So I, I didn't know um, much beyond those basics. So they go to Lori and he offers so after that lovely insight into um, some of the other gods that are involved in Mayan mythology, we go back to Honkami and Cassiopeia and Lori. And Lori is able to give Honkami some insight as to where some of his body parts are actually. And she, they um, end up having to go to Veracruz and at Veracruz currently there's this lovely carnival and they end up having to find the mam lab uh, the mam lab is actually referring to several gods and the youngest one Juan or the god of thunder actually has one of um Honkami's missing body parts he has his left ear and he has to try and he has to tri- he tricks him into getting him back with Cassiopeia's help. Um, so there's that, and then he makes um he makes the mamlab you know tell him what he knows about where the other body parts would be, but he doesn't really know anything. And with the uh returning of his left ear, he gains some more of his power, and. With that power, he's able to summon a psychopomp, which is basically um, just this mass of shadows, and he's able to get three answers, I believe, or three hints to where his missing body parts lie now. And after he thanks them and they go away, his ne- their next destination is Zatabe's abode, and Zatabe is basically a spirit that lives and devours men. And every culture has that uh, man-eater, quote-unquote. So it reminded me, the Azatabi reminded me of um, La Jablas in Trinidad. So I thought that was cool to see that kind of similarity across some um, cultures. And Azatabi actually ends up having Hankami's index finger. And at this point, he recognized... He, falls under her spell when they and when they meet her and Cassiopeia's voice actually helps break him out of that spell and at this point um it's recognized that Honkami is slowly turning human prior to reaching um Vera Cruz I believe he laughed and that was a signal that he was slowly turning um mortal that his mortality was you know slowly sinking in and achieving his divinity so first it was a laugh and then he started uh, and then he was then he fell under Zatabi's spell and you slowly see him slowly becoming mortal and eventually he starts dreaming gods don't dream and he I think that's the first time he feels fear and he's kind of uncertain so that was really cool to see um I think that whole development process where him slowly turning mortal and then eventually acknowledging and not fighting that was a really cool development to um, follow through it, but more on that later. 
Okay, so they get back his index finger and now he's a bit more powerful. And eventually they um, get their next destination, which is the Uwe Chivo. The Uwe Chivo is a goat-faced sorcerer, if I'm not mistaken. And he ends up having Han Kami's jade necklace. And there's a whole, there's a bit of a fight. Um, Cassiopeia and Han Kami end up getting captured. But then they escape. And then they have their final destination, which is Terra. Yeah, Terra, Tierra Blanca. And it's basically a hotel that's set up right where that stone that I mentioned earlier fell and hit the earth. And basically the pool of um, energy, of magic, for lack of better words, is very potent there. And Vakuam Kami actually built the hotel there for that sole purpose. So the end game's coming into play, it's coming up, tensions are high. And eventually it comes down to... Vakum Kami and Hun Kami each having a champion to um, enter into Zilbaoba and they have to race each other to the World Tree, which is a lovely tree in Zilbaoba that overlooks this lake. And in that lake sleeps this primordial entity called the Great Cayman. And this Great Cayman was there for eons it existed before the Zilbaoba, it'll exist after Zilbaoba, so you get the drift, it's a big deal. So obviously Cassiopeia is going on behalf of Honkami, and her cousin Martin is going on behalf of Kami. And before, and right before all um, the day of uh, all of them descending into Zilbaoba, she and Honkami end up at the beach and she actually has that she actually has the um opportunity to decide whether or not he returns to being a god he straight out asks her asks her um you know if you if you'd like me to stay human i don't mind he was willing to give up his divinity for her and at that point she realizes i could let this will descend into madness and have my happily ever after the thing that she wants most she could have fulfillment in her life she could finally not put others first or she could let him go and i was like and she she they end up speaking for a bit and eventually she acknowledges that yeah, she could keep him here, but that was not what he was meant for, and she lets him go, and that, it honestly gives you the feels, like, it hurts, it's the right choice, but it hurts, you know, it doesn't hurt any less, and then she descends into Zilbalba, she has to fight for her life, and all these different creatures from me and mythology pop up, there's a bat-like creature, um, I think there's like a graveyard of bow rib bones that try to trap her. And eventually she actually um she was warned by Honkami not to go off the path because then she would get lost in Zilbaba and die. And she does actually end up off the path. And her brother Ma- not brother, her cousin Martin Martin actually tried to like keep her 
back to try and stop her from progressing and she ends up off the path she ends up lost and somehow she wanders by luck or fate or destiny she ends up by the lake of the um world tree and she recognizes that she recognizes some of the um places in Zilbaba from all the times Hankami narrated how Zilbaba really is from what humans um made of it. So he speaks about the Jade Palace, he speaks about his lake filled with beautiful blind fishes of every color. He speaks about the trees, he speaks about this lovely mountain with malachite and jade and all these different layers and she's able to recognize these things. She recognizes that she won't make it in time to the finish line and she decides to make the ultimate sacrifice and this in Mayan mythology that is so I believe it's the um for samurais in Japan it would be um committing seppuku I think that's the word where they fall on their own sword to take their life um if t- to avoid a dishonor I think so in Mayan mythology it's called kuapkal or the cutting of the truth and she makes peace with the fact that she'll never see him again and she willingly gives up her life she cuts her truth in that lake by the world tree and this summons the great Cayman. so at this point Zilbaba forces the two lords who are back in middle world to come and they reach the world tree they see the lake the script came and emerges and he deposits from his jaw this red um shrewd and in it is wrapped Cassiopeia's body and at this point Vakum Kami recognizes he's lost he is bitter about it but he recognizes this and Hankame is ang- he's angry he won but he's angry at seeing Cassiopeia's body there and at that point um, the whole of Zilbaba trembles because it recognizes that its true lord has returned and etc etc um, he ends up saving Cassiopeia he brought her back to life which was re- I thought that was really cool especially since it didn't have those normal logistics of, you know, she's dead, she can't come back. I thought it was really cool that he could just, you know, wave his hand and she's back. And she comes back and it's kind of bittersweet. So his brother um, offers him the last piece, the last missing piece to give him back all his power and to restore him to his throne, his left eye. And... It's really there that you see the kind of um, effect being an immortal and being what Cassiopeia had on Ankami because instead, he all this time he was ready to get revenge on his brother. He was ready to lock him away, just like he locked him away for like twice the amount of time. And because of Cassiopeia's influence and because when they were speaking on this whole myth-making quest, he asked her if um, she had a chance if she would kill Martin, and she said no because that wasn't going to help her. He also exercised compassion and forgiveness for his brother so that they wouldn't continue in that cycle of sorrow. And it's really then that Vakum Kami, um, you know, he's kind of surprised, and then... 
yeah he was like okay and this kind of showed a truce he puts back his brother's eye for him and then it's better suit again because obviously Cassiopeia is alive and Kami is turning into a um divine being once more with no emotions and stuff but they recognize that they have fallen in love and then they recognize it they acknowledge it and when his heart his heart starts um disappearing for lack of better words because gods don't have hearts but a speck of everything that they went through for that whole journey remains and it actually transcends into zilbalba and previously there were no trees there were no um flowers and stuff like that and i believe that changes and yeah so she literally had the whole me on underwood um go through a change because of their whole you know journey and i thought that was really really cool um obviously they do end up parting ways which was bittersweet and she ends up back in middle world back on earth and then after she packs up her things and leaves the hotel she meets lori who's in a stolen vehicle and they end up going on a trip together and he gives her a gift from hankami because right before she descended into zilbaba he promised her um jewels and black pearls and stuff so he kept his promise and she's bitter she's sour because she made the right choice but she doesn't have to be happy about it and they end up going on this road trip either to quebec or new orleans it doesn't stay and i just thought that was really cute I I like that she didn't let it um I did, I like that she didn't let the fact that she lost her love you know make her lose her entire will to live that sort of jazz she recognized that it couldn't happen at that point and she's continuing to make the best of what she has so I could accept that was I happy that they didn't get so happily ever after no but um can i accept the reason why yes i can i can appreciate it i can appreciate that it's really real and i like that part about the story just having said that however i was sorely disappointed that this book didn't have a sequel and there's so much room for interpretation but if there ever does have a continuation of silvia moreno's um gods of jade and shadow and a continuation of this world building I just hope that they don't need to have a happily ever after, but I hope that eventually, you know, Cassiopeia and Hankami do end up seeing each other again, even if it's when she dies. I just need that to, you know, kind of. That I just need that to to give my soul the benefit of the doubt. I need that to settle my soul. But other than that, beautiful book, beautiful plot, not at. all stereotypical it was new it was wonderful it was enjoyable yes it was kind of sad at the end and it was better sweet but i'll take it i loved it um fun fact there's actually not one um official mayan language uh, i think it's about 20 different aspects so i think we could i think um caribbean people could uh, understand that especially seeing as how creole um has so many variations across the islands so i liked that i liked that um, i was able to see that similarity um and yeah i just really really liked this book i highly recommend if you'd like to learn more about mayan mythology or if you're just looking for a really sweet read 
like because this whole book was sweet the awkward interactions of this being who despite all his years of existence has no kind of um he, he just doesn't know how to interact with humans so this girl who barely had any interactions that weren't filled with negative emotions from her family and you know they go together and they make this whole nice little hero story and yeah i just think it was really cute Honestly, it was cute. The interactions were cute. The storyline was nice. And you really see um, how Cassiopeia doesn't let all the negatives of her home life and her environment dictate her final decisions because it took a lot of compassion and humility to turn down a god. It really does. So, yeah. And I think that is the end of my review for this book so i highly recommend it even if you don't like mythology just read it it was a really good book so i think that's it from me for this book um thank you for listening if you did enjoy this podcast feel free to subscribe on spotify or follow me on instagram at ttalks with kudo As always, you can find this podcast on a good few platforms that I can't remember right now, but you can find it on Spotify, Samsung Podcasts, um, Google Podcasts, I think, and Amazon Podcasts, to name a few. And I believe, yeah, that's it. So thank you for listening, and tune in next time for Tea Talks with Kudo. Yeah, that's it. Bye.